1864, President Abraham Lincoln was up for re-election. Why was this presidential election one of the most important in U.S. history? Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Phil Russman. Our guest today is Dr. David Long, professor and Lincoln scholar at Eastern Carolina University, author of The Jewel of Liberty, Abraham Lincoln's Re-Election and the End of Slavery. Speaking with David will be our guest host, Dr. Jerry Prokopovich, also a professor at Eastern Carolina University. Coming up in a moment, David Long. and reduce emissions. Check. Acoustic and optical wayside monitors to enhance safety. Check. Robotic systems to measure track geometry. Check. GPS tracking and tracing systems. Check. Sounds like a rocket or a jet getting ready for takeoff, doesn't it? Actually, it's something just as technologically advanced. A freight train. There's a new world of technology riding the rails that makes today's freight railroads more fuel efficient, safer, and cleaner running than ever. With wireless communications, transponders, and trackside readers that can pinpoint a shipment's location at speeds of up to 80 miles an hour, North America's freight railroads are driving the technology required by today's businesses and consumers. And with everything from apples to computers moving by rail, we wouldn't have it any other way. Chances are, the things you'll use tomorrow are taking the train today. Tomorrow, arriving by train. Sponsored by North America's Freight Railroads. Mission Critical. Two words that describe the data vital to every e-commerce website. If your company needs the services of an unparalleled co-location facility, you need to remember these two words, Castle Access. With Castle Access, your Internet servers will be secure in environmentally controlled data centers that offer high-speed managed Internet access and the highest standards of 24-7 customer support. For more info, visit castleaccess.com. Castle Access. We keep you online all the time. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I am Jerry Prokopovich, and joining me today is David Long of East Carolina University. Uh, good morning, David. Jerry, how are uh, you today? I'm good. It's always good to talk to you. Uh, I see you and I have both been uh, transferred from East Carolina U- University <laughs> to Eastern Carolina University, but I'm yeah. sure it's somewhere nearby. We should be all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of people get there wrong. <laughs> they do. I thought we'd talk this morning about uh, the election of 1864, mm-hmm. uh, the subject of your book, The Jewel of Liberty. We're here in the aftermath uh actually not yet the aftermath, uh, uh, of, of a long political season, mm-hmm. and presidential elections are on everybody's mind. Can you tell us something about the 1864 election? Uh, what uh, you, You've been quoted as saying it's one of the most important in American history, but give us some background on, on what was involved, who was running, what the issues were. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't even qualify it uh, quite uh, 
as, as you did, Jerry, I would I would say it was decidedly the most important election in American history, and uh, simply because what was at stake, the uh, future existence of the United States as one nation was at stake, uh, whether or not slavery would be ended in the United States uh, was at stake, uh, issues of uh, uh, such importance and magnitude that I uh, that I believe with uh, all of the other important elections that have taken place in American history that this one simply stands separate and apart. Uh, the existence of the country uh, was, was literally hanging in the balance in 1864. It of course was the uh, was the bid for re-election of Abraham Lincoln and it was a, uh, a wartime uh, election. Uh, there really only had been one previous wartime election that had been in um, <clears throat> 1812, and the nation was only just at war at that time, and it certainly was not uh, uh, facing the, 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 uh, a war of the magnitude of the Civil War, which had raged on for more than three years uh, in November of 1864. So there were enormous uh, questions uh, of, of national importance and, and future importance that hung in the balance in 1864. So Abraham Lincoln obviously would have represented the the incumbent uh, party, the administration party. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was he Which running was against? Which was referred to, by the way, in that, uh, in that election as the Union Party. Uh, it, it was more than just the Republicans. Uh, the Republicans had joined with wartime Democrats or war Democrats who, um, uh, who, who, who in, in, in coalition or in a bipartisan effort uh, maintained the War effort, while much of the Democratic Party uh, either um, uh, fell away from supporting the war uh, or supported it on very different grounds, uh, grounds that would not have included such things as uh, emancipation and conscription and, and other things that the uh, that the Republican majority had had undertaken during the war. So, there perhaps. Um, some small part, uh, perhaps 10 to 20 percent of the Democratic Party from uh, the early war or, or antebellum period will will become will join with the Republicans to form the Union uh, Coalition in 1864. Now you mentioned uh, emancipation and conscription, the draft, as two things where. Mm-hmm. Uh, anti-war Democrats and Republicans disagreed. Right. Were those the two main issues of the campaign? Well, uh, they were. The, the, the war itself, of course, being the main issue in the campaign, a, a sizable portion of the Democratic Party uh, were uh, peace Democrats, or, or as they came to be referred to at the time, copperheads, who uh, who opposed the continuation of the war and demanded uh, as, uh, some kind of a peace conference uh, or an end to a cessation of hostilities, as the uh, Democratic platform would refer to it in the um, in 1864. Uh, so the continuation of the war itself was that issue. How the war was to be fought, and that included uh, issues such as conscription, uh, such as uh, uh, some civil liberties that were uh, violated or certainly mitigated uh, during the war. But, but I think emancipation really was the overriding issue and was the uh, was ultimately the the big question that would be determined 
by the selection. That's the, the title of my book. Uh, Lincoln's reelection did, in addition to affirming the continuation of the war, also affirm that emancipation as a policy would be pursued uh, to the end of slavery. And that is, that is one thing that I think very clearly would not have been uh, pursued by uh, the Democratic candidate, uh, George McClellan, who had opposed emancipation. And uh, most of his party uh, uh, was, was in concert with him in that opposition. Now, let's talk about uh, General McClellan for a minute here. Here, the, the Republicans nominate Abraham Lincoln, or rather, as you point out, the Union Party right. nominates Abraham Lincoln for a second term. And the Democratic Party uh, looks for a candidate. Their previous candidate, Stephen Douglas, that, of course, died right. uh, earlier in the war, so they cannot renominate him. Their southern candidates are not eligible because they're fighting against right. the Union. Right. So... Tell us how they come to choose uh, George McCollin, who, who he was and why they choose him. Well, much of the strength of the Democratic Party before the war had been in the South, and uh, many of the leading politicians were, were Southerners, and thus, of course, uh, with the exception of Andrew Johnson, who had, outside of his region had never really been that popular, uh, the, the potential candidates uh, are really gone. Uh, a wartime uh, governor of, of New York who had been elected is the other leading candidate uh, besides McClellan, but McClellan was the wildly popular uh, the former uh, commander-in-chief of the uh, Army of the Potomac and actually general-in-chief of all armies at one point uh, in, the, in the war, and, and his, uh, his problems with the, uh, with the Republican Congress and with Lincoln as his commander-in-chief had, uh, had, had almost become legendary at that point, but had led to his dismissal, and, um, and yet he remained popular with the troops and very popular with the Democrats. He had been a, uh, an antebellum Democrat. And uh, while still a commander of the army, had uh, had courted the favor of a number of leading Democratic uh, politicians from Pennsylvania and New Jersey and New York. So he was he was the darling uh, of the Democrats, particularly the War Democrats, uh, in 1864. This seems remarkable to me on a couple counts. Uh, one is that McClellan's military reputation. Many of our listeners are. are uh, Civil War enthusiasts who know a great deal about McClellan's right. military exploits, and he—they uh, aren't a whole lot to, to talk about. He, he <laughs> suffered a, a series of defeats or uh, indecisive battles, and well, never ne never achieved what was expected of him. Yeah, but but keep in mind that McClellan commanded the army uh, at Antietam, and and even though we we may know that Antietam was certainly not the victory that it might have been, uh, we also know that it was a. Uh, a victory that made possible Lincoln's issuance of the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, it had it, it did result in Lee's retreat uh, from Maryland when the battle was over. It had uh, destroyed or devastated about a third of Lee's army, and so in many ways uh, Antietam could could be celebrated as as having been a, a signal day. Uh, for the United States and for the uh, the Union Army, so uh, you could you could make that into a a strong case for and 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 frankly, Democrats claimed that that the reason McClellan had not been more successful than he was 
was because of interference uh, from the administration and by the uh, Congressional Committee on the Conduct of the War that it wasn't McClellan's fault at all. It was, uh, it was those uh, politicians in Washington who had, uh, who had stood in his way and prevented him from winning the war. So, so, uh, he, so he was a, 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 an attractive candidate in many ways. And he can legitimately claim some kind of status as war hero, right? Uh, in spite of, of questions about how he performed in certain battles, and and the men loved him. Uh, the men loved. Him. He had made them into a very good army. He had made them into a, a, a marvelous uh, force. Unfortunately, he didn't know how to use them in time, in time of war very effectively, but. But the fact that he had trained them and, and, and made them feel good about themselves was never lost on, on, on these soldiers, and, uh, and, and, and they loved it. Those who had served under him in 1862 uh, continued to uh, regard him in a, in, a, in a relationship that I have never known to exist between a commander and American troops in any other uh, at any other time in American history, there was a, there was a unique relationship that existed between McClellan and those under his command uh, during his time of command. It, it, it's almost a strange, <laughs> almost familial kind of relationship. But it, it might be described as a sort of cult of personality. Absolutely. I suppose one might be able to argue that uh, Robert E. Lee had something of the same almost mystical hold over the men he led. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you to a, to a point, Jerry, but um, I'm not sure that Lee was ever, uh, I mean, uh, created the wild enthusiasm in his troops that, that McClellan did. McClellan writing in review in front of his troops uh, <laughs> created an almost uh, near hysteria. I mean, as they as they whooped and threw their hats in the air and wildly cheered, Lee was was uh, beloved and, and respected uh, by his men. But I'm not sure that in 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 the same way that McClellan was, or that anybody, MacArthur or uh, or even Washington, uh, had that kind of a uh, of a relationship with his troops. Let me throw this back at you that uh, uh, when, when Lee threatens to take personal command in Spotsylvania, the Texas Brigade grabs the bridle of Traveler as horse and they shout General Lee to the rear. They don't risk, want him to, to risk getting into combat. Uh, they are so devoted to him. We don't have any examples of that with McClellan, and here's a cheap shot, because McClellan never went to the front. <laughs> That's uh, exactly what I would point out. <laughs> he was uh, never close enough that uh, he would have been at serious risk. So we just don't know if his men would have been as devoted in that case. No. Let me ask another question about McClellan and, and his candidacy in 1864. You make a, a, a strong case for his popularity with the soldiers, his military record. But you started out by saying that the Democratic Party in 1864 ran on a platform that said the war was a failure. Yes, they did. How did they reconcile this with McClellan's status as a war hero? <laughs> it was a problem for them uh, throughout. Um, the the peace wing of the Democratic Party went along with the nomination of McClellan in in, in hope of victory, and and what and what it seemed for a long time was was uh, the prospect of, of uh, victory in November. Um, but but there was a great deal of discomfort between the, the leaders of the Peace Democrats, particularly Clement Vallandigham, uh, and the, the nomination of McClellan. Uh, when when McClellan never really affirms his uh, his his dedication to the to the principles of of that plank of the Democratic platform, the second the second plank of the Democratic platform, which I said was the 
plank that they would walk to their political death in uh, 1864. Uh, there, there is a threat that uh, that Blantingham and, and and a great many uh, Democrats would bolt the party, and um, one of the reasons why I believe a McClellan victory, coupled with an attempt to continue the war, would have created a major disruption uh, within within his base of support, because um, uh, I think fully half, of, if not more, of the uh, Democratic Party in 1864 was uh, absolutely devoted to the principle that, uh, that the president should cease hostilities uh, at the earliest opportunity and hold a hold peace negotiations with the South, something that I believe would have would have led to uh, to the war ending with without uh, without the South being restored to the United States, and that's ultimately a uh, a permanent division of the country. So you have the the Democratic Party divided uh, a war candidate, a war hero candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a peace platform and the and a peace vice president, by the way, uh, the uh, man who the the Ohio congressman uh, George Pendleton, who was uh, who was McClellan's running mate, was uh, was was a Copperhead, was a peace Democrat. So so two of the three things that the convention would do uh, a platform and, and and the nomination of a vice president uh, were were controlled by the peace wing of the party. Uh, only the nomination of McClellan uh, would have been the, the regular Democrats or the uh, the supporter, those Democrats who still claim to, to support the war. Now, what about on the other side, on, on Lincoln's side? Did he have unanimous support from his party? No, he did not. Uh, there was a great deal of, of dissent and dissension within uh, the Republican Party. They made a pretty good show at Baltimore of, of unity. Only uh, a group of delegates from Missouri uh, cast a first uh, ballot um, uh, for somebody other than Lincoln, and they, they all cast a first ballot for Grant just as a sort of a statement of dissatisfaction with the uh, present administration, but uh, beneath the surface of that unity uh, at, at, uh, at uh, Baltimore was a great deal of unhappiness uh, about Lincoln, about the, uh, what, what many considered to be the timid or tepid way in which he had conducted the war up to that point, and there had been a lot of support for a more radical uh, candidate uh, to be the nominee of the party, and particularly Salmon Chase, who had Lincoln's Secretary of the Treasury. Uh, there, there had been a, 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 a strong campaign to make him the nominee of the party at the uh, at the June convention. Uh, that um, dump Lincoln movement uh, uh, came to naught eventually because Chase overplayed his hand uh, when. Um, an early circular, and then it's the Pomeroy circular started by a Kansas senator, uh, Samuel Pomeroy, uh, came out at an inexpedient time and made some uh, made some remarks that were impolitic uh, at the time, and sort of uh, pricked the balloon of, of Chase's rising candidacy, uh, and 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 there was never anybody else who emerged after that to mount a serious threat, but there was a great deal of of uh, unhappiness about uh, the way Lincoln had conducted the war, and a wish that somebody else emerged as a candidate. Now, if Grant had wanted to be the nominee of the party, he could have. He uh, he disowned uh, anybody other than Lincoln uh, being the president. He said, "We must have this man." 
uh, as, as president. And David, we'll pick that story up in a few minutes. We'll hear okay. more about the 1864 election. Uh, this is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. 